Welcome to the Risk and Repeat podcast, episode number 66. I'm Rob Wright, editor of Search Security, and we have a special episode of the podcast this week. We are going to be talking with senior reporter Michael Heller of Search Security, who's going to tell us a little bit about DEF CON and some of the things he learned at DEF CON, specifically about hacking voting machines, a subject that is terrifying to me <laughs> and is probably going to be even more terrifying to me after uh, we're done talking. Mike, thanks for joining, and uh, I won't hold it against you if uh, everything you tell me for the next uh, 15 or 20 minutes is uh, leaves me in a state of shock and dismay. I will try my best, but at the same time, I mean, I've, I've got some good news and some bad news. Yeah. It probably ends up skewing towards the bad because <laughs> this is uh, the American government that we're talking about. and True actually getting them to, to do what needs to be done in this case is probably going to be near impossible. Great. We're starting off on a, on a very positive note. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you and I were, I guess maybe we should start with sort of um, a quick recap of, of our experiences or more of your experiences. I already talked with Peter about what I experienced at uh, Black Hat, but I'm, I'm curious, what was your experience like at, at Black Hat this year, and how would you, I guess, start with that, and then how would you compare it to DEF CON, I guess, at a high level? So, at Black Hat this year was, I would say, better than it has been in previous years. Mm -hmm. um, I've kind of figured out uh, how to balance um, sessions with meeting the interesting people that you can only find at, uh, at conferences like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as, as you did mention in the last podcast, I've didn't have the best luck with sessions this year, but at the same time, I did get to speak to some pretty interesting people like uh, an FBI agent and a U.S. district attorney and get kind of a different, a different perspective on a lot of the things that we cover than what I could normally get uh, if, if it weren't for, you know, having access to those people. And at the same time, I know you were very upset about the crowds at, oh, at the conference. Yeah. But, I mean, I felt like it made sense. I mean, the, the, the keynote itself was in essentially a concert hall. And if you're going to go to a concert or a basketball game or a hockey game or something that's in that sort of venue, you're going to hit crowds. You're going to hit, you know, very confined spaces where you probably don't want to be but you, you just have to deal with it. That's just kind of the way it is. Yeah, I tried to go to my happy place following the Black Hat keynotes because that was that was a level of, 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 I guess, of crowd and claustrophobia that I hadn't experienced at the show previously. But I, it, and I remember now that that was a different venue for the keynote than they did last year, I, I believe. Uh, yeah, they'd never had in that in that concert like arena before. Yeah. It really felt like they were trying to, you know, get themselves on the same level as RSA with that. I was expecting there to be a live music act after the keynote finished. Yeah, or, lasers. You know, would yeah. have it at RSA. Yeah, green lights, lasers, and well, not lasers, but yeah, no, I, it, it definitely felt like it was a bigger affair, or they're trying to make it a bigger affair than than previous years. Um, yeah, DefCon the. the the crowds there were worse because the venue itself feels like it's not really set up 
for a conference that size. Right. Um, this was my first time at, at DEF CON, so I can't really compare it to years previous, but uh, it does seem, I know that Black Hat was held at Caesars for a long time, which is where DEF CON now resides. Mm-hmm. And it, it was just bottlenecks everywhere you tried to go. So, I mean, at one point, I could have had an, uh, an interview with Gary Kaspersky, or <laughs> I made a mistake, he said not to, Gary Kasparov, mm-hmm. not Kaspersky, as he joked, but I just couldn't get through the crowds to get there. It's just too much. Yeah, I'm glad I, I did not have to go through that. Thanks for taking the bullet for us on that one. I will I will take that bullet again if I if, <laughs> if need be because DefCon is it's it's a really fun conference. I mean, you know, every it's just completely different than anything else that I've experienced because mm-hmm. I've really only ever been to more corporate conferences. Right. You know, RSA and Black Hat are you know very filled with uh, security companies and. Even you know, while Black Hat does have plenty of the the hacking research and stuff, it's also still uh, a lot of you know the big names you know you're gonna see. But you know, at at uh, at DefCon, you're you're really in the weeds, and like you'll you walk down the the hallway, you see people with their own you know Wi-Fi routers just set up in a corner doing who knows what. Yeah. And, you know, you wander through the different villages where people are hacking away at, uh, you know, hardware and learning how to pick locks and learning how to break every piece of IoT that has come out. Uh, it, it's it's just a whole different world, and it's, it's pretty awesome. It's, it's a lot of fun. Mm. So um, was it fun participating in the voting village and seeing what uh, was was going on there the voting village was it was fun um, but because of maybe because of how much time I spent there and how many people I talked to that got a little uh, scarier mm-hmm. than everything else you know if, if you're just walking through the lockpick village or something like that you're like okay this is worrisome that these things are pretty much useless but you know you you just walk through and you put it out of your mind as best you can right with this i spoke to a number of people and it's it's a troubling situation to to put it mildly i guess yeah and i guess maybe we should explain like what the village itself is was like if i understand it correctly they had different sort of portions of the of the conference where they would they were centered on specific types of things they were trying to hack or find vulnerabilities or analyze there were other villages besides just a voting village so what were some of the other ones so let's see there was uh the lock picking village the iot village the hardware village uh i believe there was a social engineering village great um yeah, there, I can't quite remember the other ones, but yeah, I know that they had a social engineering competition where, you know, they just set up a few phones, people called around, tried to get as much information 
uh, about someone as they could so they could theoretically answer the um, the verification questions that you might get. Oh wow! If you've yeah. lost your password or or whatever. Yep. And so the voting village was basically all about election machine hacking, e-voting machine hacking? Uh, so there was, there were basically two different parts to the voting village. There was a speaking track where you had a number of people talking about you know, the, the legal implications of hacking, um, the legal troubles that come from trying to investigate potential uh, voting hacks and then you also had the, the hardware side of it where they had about two dozen machines and they even set up their own uh, network based on the specs that they got from an election clerk just to, to see what it would take to you know break the break the hardware break into the network get into the, the registration databases and all of that and as is pretty much the theme of any DEF CON, uh, nothing is secure. Nothing is safe. Mm -hmm. There's There are ways to get into all of these things. We heard about, I, I remember talking about this in the office, and when we heard there was going to be a voting village, I don't think anyone was, like, it would have been shocking if we heard at the end of this that it took days for some of these hackers to penetrate these machines. I don't think any of this expected that they were going to come away from the show saying, oh, here are a couple of types of e-voting systems that we couldn't crack the way we thought we could. Uh, but I guess I was maybe a little alarmed with the amount of time that it took to, to, to get into some of these systems, which seemed pretty short, right? Hour and a half? Yeah, within the first hour and a half, they had broken into two different machines, um, and in less than two and a half days, they had broken every machine that they had. Yeah, that's troubling. And before they they were they had hedged their bets a little bit beforehand, saying, you know, we've only got three days to do this, and anybody who's actually planning an attack like this will have months or years to try and uh, figure out how to how to hack these machines. Yeah, but it did not take much at all. Now, of course, I spoke with uh, Jake Braun, one of the organizers of the event, and he said that uh, they had spoken with some of the the manufacturers of the machines mm -hmm. and tried to get newer versions of software, um, things like that, because there were already some who were trying to give the excuse, you know, we've got patched software that you can, that might be make, uh, might make it a little more difficult to, to hack these machines. They did try to get those, and they're hoping that next year they'll get uh, some donated machines from official sources so that they'll have the newest things that they can go up against. Right. But Braun said that even if they had the newest patches and everything, he was pretty confident that they would have been able to, to get through those as well. So what were, I mean, I know some of the things, some of the concerns about voting machines we've read about, we've heard people talking about leading up to this. What were some of the other things that 
came up during DEF CON about these these machines? Um, a lot of times when you hear government officials speaking about election hacking, mm-hmm. their general response is always that these devices aren't networked or you have to have physical access in order to be able to, to hack them. But there have been cases where there's a Wi-Fi access point on, you know, something that should be air-gapped. Mm-hmm. And as uh, Jake Braun said, a lot of times these machines are held in warehouses with nothing more than a padlock on there. And, of course, if you wander over to the, the lock-picking village, you know how easy it is to, to get through that. Um, there were other speakers who mentioned that, you know, there are plenty of volunteers at every voting place that, you know, you don't know exactly who these people are. There's some vetting that goes on, but if if someone's determined, there are plenty of ways that they can actually get access to these these devices. And But a, a big theme really was the idea of being able to, to verify the tallies once once the vote has been cast. Uh, so, so there were a number of people there from Verified Voting, yep. uh, including Barbara Simons, uh, who is the uh, chair of Verified Voting uh, Committee. And their big argument throughout a number of different talks was that, A, it's the, the laws around having an investigation into potential election hacking are, they're broken, basically. Mm. You know, you need to have evidence of hacking in order to start an investigation. But of course, you can't get that evidence unless there's an investigation. And even if you do somehow get the investigation approved, it's not technically legal to... uh, to actually investigate these machines as far as that, that the whole legal framework is is very messy and needs a lot of work so they've been pushing uh, to have risk limit audits mm-hmm. where you know you do random audits uh, after the fact and if a certain threshold is hit depending on various statistical factors you perform more and more audits and be able to verify that the votes that were cast were counted correctly. Mm-hmm. Of course, a big issue with that is that there are 14 states that have electronic-only voting, and there's no paper trail to check against, and even a number of the states that have retrofitted uh, voting machines with paper trails, the paper trails are not really designed for recounts at all. So they're they're printed on continuous rolls that are, you know, basically like a, a receipt that you get at a store. Oh, that's great. So there's no way to split it up and actually count easily what what was done unless you literally take a scissor and cut the roll. So it's uh That's unreal. Oh, yeah. I mean I can barely keep track of my cab receipts from from Vegas uh, that are printed out on those little rolls of paper. So I can only imagine how hard it would be to sift through all of that to find out if, you know, 
voter A's actual uh, you know ballot uh, corresponds to what's in the computer and uh, verification. That just sounds like a mess. It uh, yeah, it is, it is definitely a mess. But at the same time, there does seem to be some hope, a little mm-hmm. bit of hope. There have been so uh, General Doug Lute, who was a former U.S. ambassador to NATO, spoke at the conference. There were a number of local election officials who were at DEFCON. Uh, Jake Braun said that he did speak with uh, Matthew Masterson, who's the chair of the U.S. Election Assistance uh, Commission, mm-hmm. and you know they were going to be working together. And you know, he he seemed Braun seemed optimistic that they would get help uh, from the companies who actually make the voting machines to get some official pieces of equipment donated for future DEF CON events so that they can, you know, do some serious testing on the most recent uh, hardware and software they possibly can. Yeah. And just in general, having this happen, having the, uh, the awareness that that comes from hackers breaking into a voting machine and playing Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. I saw that. I saw that in your story. Rick rolling. Yeah. When a, when a voting machine gets Rick rolled, people kind of have to pay attention, don't they? Yeah, they should. They should. And and they said this is this is now a, a permanent fixture of DEF CON. Oh, nice. So it's not like this will be a one-time thing where people can you know, ignore it after a little while, this is going to happen every year, and for every year there will be more and more evidence and more reminders that these things are not secure and something needs to be done in order to make them secure. Yeah, I, I just I, I think eliminating this the excuse uh, as visibly as possible that you know you don't you don't want to hear people say, well, we didn't know. So anything that can sort of shine a light on this, I think, is a good thing whether it's brick rolling or whatever. And I, I would definitely like to see at any future event, I, I mean, sort of the, the latest equipment, you know, the, with the latest software, the latest product versions, uh, and sort of get into what are the underlying applications, what are, what, what, what operating system is, is, you know, is a specific machine using, uh, do those specific machines, if they're using Windows, do they update their Windows uh, OSs, or do they do they do what a lot of enterprises do, do delayed patching, or if they even do any patching? That would be really fascinating, because yeah, getting some of the equipment off eBay or, or secondhand markets, you know, the, the machines that have been around a, a while, they might not, eh, they might not be applicable anymore. They might not be. In circulation, there might be completely different systems out there, but yeah, I have a feeling there probably are a lot of those older machines still in use. Once they do get their hands on more uh, newer hardware and software, all that will really do is just change the change the conversation that we're having. From these things are vulnerable to these things are vulnerable, assuming unless, of course, they get updated, which as we've seen from the corporate world and government updating and patching software is always a problem. Yeah. So yeah. there's 
no reason to, to expect it would be any different in this case. And I, I think your, to your point about having different people sort of within the government take notice of this and, and have discussions about what to do to at least get the ball rolling is important because, you know, I know you wrote the, the, the story already about the voting village and, and all that went on there. And I was, I was reading the story and I'm thinking, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we had numerous localities or state election uh, officials saying, oh, we think we've had an intrusion. We think we've been, we, our voter database has been penetrated and possibly obtained. And multiple states go on the record saying these things. And yet they turn down the help of Department of Homeland Security. And I'm one of department, I'm the DHS's biggest critics. So I, I'm not exactly blaming them here. But if you do have a problem like this and you think you're your voting system has been penetrated, your voting infrastructure has been penetrated, who do you turn to? You know, what do you do? Like if there's no if there's no sort of safety net here, if there's no protocol, if there's no sort of trusted source to go to with this problem where you, you have confidence that they're gonna fix fix it and address it effectively, then yeah, something something needs to be done. It's just remarkable. Yeah. At basically at every level there's there are gonna be issues like that, you know, at the at the the bottom level you've got that exact issue where they're not sure where to turn. Mm. And then as you get higher and higher up, it's either a matter of either the same issue of not knowing who exactly to deal with or getting all the way to the to the top. I mean at some point Congress is gonna have to really investigate this and potentially set up some some new laws or change existing laws. There's not a lot of uh, not a lot of recent history that says that that'll be an easy task. Well, on a positive note, though, like you said, at least it's it's moving in the right direction. I don't know how much Defcon will move the the, the overall needle on this, but yeah, as I said, there there were a couple small silver linings in the story. Yeah, it's not it's not all nightmare fuel. <laughs> you were right. You were right. It's uh, it's somewhat calming, I guess, and reassuring, but uh, surely not the last time we're going to be writing about this uh, uh, in the context well, of... certainly not. Yeah, yeah. At the very least, now, anytime an election official or member of, of government say, you know, tries to give the excuse or tries to give the, the defense that, you know, you need physical access these things are all theoretical, and, you know, they're all air-gapped. You know, you, we have more evidence to say uh, that, that that doesn't that doesn't help. That doesn't fix any anything. Right. There are still vulnerabilities. It is still possible to get physical access, and you can claim things are air-gapped, but that doesn't actually you know, ensure that they will be in all cases and. There are a lot of a lot of these networks around the country, so there there's bound to be mistakes made. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mike, thank you for braving the voting village and for braving the crowds at DEFCON. Yeah, as I said, it was 
a lot of fun going to DEF CON, and uh, I'll definitely I'll definitely volunteer to go again, and it's uh, always good to be part of the podcast. And thank you to the listeners and readers of Search Security. I'm Rob Wright, and we will see you next time.